Delaware County's premier podcast with your hosts, Dennis and Michelle. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to This Week in the Bear Cave. I'm your host, Dennis Zerl, and once again this week, we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County, the historic Butte Theater in Cripple Creek, Colorado, bringing you the best in melodrama productions in the United States, in the Shadow Designs, the place where your custom creations are made for all occasions, and Peak Washing LLC, the pressure washing professionals for that dirty job. Well, it's another week closer to that big day, and I'm talking about, you know what, Halloween. (laughs) It's kind of crazy how much work you have to put into it here in the Bear Cave Spooky Woods, but uh, we know it's all going to be worth it because we had a few people stop by and take a peek last weekend, and kind of fun just seeing people's faces and how much they're enjoying themselves, so... Thanks for those of you who stopped by and got a treat or two. We still have a few things to repair and put stuff away at the end of the year. You just kind of shove them in a box because you're sick of looking at it. And then you pull it back out and it's like, oh, maybe this battery shouldn't have been left or a light's not working. But uh, anyway, we'll have it up and uh, hopefully you can stop by and take a peek. Kind of strange last week as we were recording with Christina Etter and we were talking about cannabis issues and lo and behold, Sniffy Joe makes a big announcement about cannabis himself right after we get done recording. Seems like that's the uh, norm here in the barricade. But uh, anyway, he was talking about pardoning thousands of people convicted of cannabis possession, which some see as a small step forward towards legalization. And we talked about that last week as well. So I guess he's fulfilling a campaign promise, and uh, it's just kind of strange how that all kind of happened. Well, it looks like the Leaf Peepers once again had a great weekend seeing all those amazing colors popping. I took a drive up there myself, and, uh, you know, it always amazes me how beautiful Teller County and Colorado in general is. But this time of year is especially beautiful. I didn't have to dodge anyone, and I didn't see anybody jousting for positions. So proud of you. Everybody's getting along and just enjoying the natural beauty that we have here in Colorado. Well, this week we have our title sponsor from Abode Real Estate, Josh Dorsey, coming into the Bear Cave Hotline. And it seems like the real estate industry has made a few changes since the last time we talked. And just about the time we talked about interest rates not going up, well, you guessed it, they went up. So I am not a barometer or a crystal ball for predicting the future because I said it was going to be stable. And right now it seems like things are kind of in flux, but we'll talk to Josh about that a little bit. Coming up next week, it's the Mayor's Corner with Woodland Park Mayor Hillary Labar. We'll see how things are moving along in Woodland Park and what issues the city is currently facing. I know we're going to talk to our field producer, Trevor Phipps, a little bit later about uh, some of those short-term rentals. Seems like that's kind of the hot topic right now. And then the last week of October, we have now Chief of Florissant Fire Rescue, Eric Holt, coming back into the Bear Cave. As you know, we had quite a few comments the last time he came on. There was some controversy about him coming on as the interim chief, and there's still some negative banter going on if you see it on social media. So we'll see what changes he's going to make in Florence, and if any, give him an opportunity to talk about that. We already know about the opposition comments because they're posted all over social media, so this could be another interesting talk with him coming in. The first week of November, we're going to be taking a week hiatus because we've got some ongoing projects that are taking some priority. So gives you a break away from my nonsense for a week or so. But uh, like a bad penny, I'm sure I'll find my way back. However, the second week, we have Woodland Park Council member David Ott coming in. We haven't talked to him for a while, so we're going to see what he's up to. 
Well, as we mentioned last week, we are getting very close to that midterm election coming up. And before you know it, it'll be time to cast your vote for both people who are running for various office and those propositions that not very many people read. But by now, you should have gotten that pretty blue state booklet in the mail. And in that booklet, there's actually some very important information that could help you make an informed decision. And one of those propositions is Prop 126. There are actually three alcohol propositions this year, but that is the proposition that would allow delivery of alcoholic beverages by a third party. It's getting quite a bit of attention, but let's kind of break it down a little bit. A yes vote would allow third party companies such as Uber and DoorDash or you know, whatever to deliver alcohol from grocery stores, convenience stores, liquor stores, bars, restaurants, and other liquor licensed businesses and takeout and delivery of alcohol from bars and restaurants that would make that permanently available. Now, a no vote maintains the current law, which requires the businesses to use their own employees to deliver alcohol, such as bars and restaurants, and they may offer takeout and delivery of alcohol until July of 2025. Well, companies like DoorDash, they're dumping millions of dollars into ad campaigns to try and persuade Colorado voters to support their ballot issues. Meanwhile, there are about 1,650 plus independent liquor stores around the state, which have become kind of the bedrock of sorts in some of our communities. Now, they sponsor events like Little League games and their outlets are kind of burgeoning for craft beers and they create jobs and they support even a wider economy throughout the state, if you really think about it. One thing they don't have is billions of dollars to dump into an ad campaign to tell the voters how to vote or try to persuade them. But it kind of depends on who you ask, I guess. But uh, those dollars are coming from out-of-state corporations that believe that they can buy the opinion in order to buy our alcohol industry. So big box liquor stores like uh, BevMo and a few others say that they will cut prices. But in fact, that has a predatory practice to bankrupt smaller businesses. I mean, that's kind of what they're thinking about. And maybe that's not the case so much here in Taylor County, but certainly in general in uh, the rest of our state. If they can control the market, they leave consumers with fewer options at higher prices. That's just kind of the way it works. The current alcohol delivery regulations prioritize safety, while companies such as DoorDash have a history of letting their delivery people ignore guidelines and procedures to verify customer ages and also check for over-intoxication. So I don't think a DoorDash driver necessarily has the qualification to determine if someone has had too much alcohol or not. As an example, in California, our favorite place, law enforcement has been raising all kinds of red flags over at-home delivery by DoorDash because they had an 80% failure rate during routine safety compliance checks, and they also found that it allowed a far easier access to alcohol for underage youth. Well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Currently in Colorado, residents have a direct say in the approval process for liquor store licenses in our communities. It just happened not too long ago here in, uh, in Woodland Park. Now, this prop would eliminate that local control and let those big out-of-state corporations set policy for Colorado. So if you think that's a good idea, uh, I don't know too many people who do. I just think it's bad for business for Colorado, even though it sounds good at first glance. But this could be one of those... It's been said wolves and sheep clothing kind of things. It's one of those kind of scenarios. Now, on the other side, people are saying that it's better for competition and you have easier access and it's all about free market. 
But does it really? Doesn't it actually hurt smaller businesses? I don't know. Something for you to decide. Well, the pros also say that allowing third-party delivery services to deliver alcohol will let many more stores and restaurants to utilize delivery without having to devote the resources to meet burdensome requirements in the current law. And of course, you can order alcohol from the comfort of your own home. Well, I personally want you to have some burden when you're selling alcohol. I mean, that just kind of goes with the turf. The cons are replying by saying the miners issue could be eliminated because there's a lack of safeguards which are available in stores right now to ensure alcohol is not sold to miners. Okay, that makes sense. Also under the measure, retailers are not liable once the alcohol leaves their premises. And law enforcement of third-party alcohol delivery laws is expected to be a little bit more difficult as a result of that. So if it does pass, I'm sure that there will now be additional licenses and fees and that'll mean more people for administration enforcement to process applications, conduct delivery compliance checks, all that kind of stuff. So to that extent, workload and costs will most likely increase as well. There you have it on that one. So I encourage you to read the props carefully before you vote on November 8th, either in person or by mail-in ballot. There are eight props in total, and you should at least read or scan them before you vote. Like I said before, it seems weird that there's three alcohol-related propositions coming up, and I think uh, the other two deal with uh, more liquor stores being available, and the last one is the sell of wine in grocery stores, and uh, that, that pretty much covers them. So read them carefully before you decide and make that educated vote. All right, what else is going on? Oh, the artist formerly known as Kanye West, now known as Yee, he's been banned from Twitter and Instagram for making racist comments. Apparently, the comment was, Jesus is Jew, also posting a picture of himself wearing a White Lives Matter hoodie in an apparent mockery of Black Lives Matter movement. And nobody cares. Yeah, we'll just uh, put that where it belongs. And uh, didn't we already know that Jesus is a Jew? Yeah, just saying. Well, I hate to keep talking about this, but it just can't be avoided. The Russians and the Ukrainians have ratcheted up that war some more this week. And by now, I'm sure that you've probably heard about the bridge that went from Crimea to Russia sustained severe damage. And there's speculation on how that bridge was actually blown up, whether it was charges that were placed underneath the bridge, whether it was a missile or whether it was a a truck bomb. It's hard to say. I've seen some of the footage and some up close footage and uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not an explosive expert or anything like that, but uh, it's really hard for me to see if there's any kind of, uh, it, it looked like the explosion was coming from underneath. So it could have been a boat. I mean, it could have been anything. But in response, the severe damage that was done, the Russians have begun to rocket Kiev and other major cities yet once again. And like I say, again, I'm not, I don't want to get too deep into this, but it seems like what was a stalemate of sorts is now ratcheting back up to a war with no end in sight. And you can't help but just feel bad for the people and the civilians who are being killed who are non-combatants. And if you believe the reports that are coming out of the Ukraine, it seems like the majority of Russian soldiers don't want to be there. And of course, the Ukrainians just want the aggression to all end, which uh, I'm sure the entire world does too. But Vlad the Impaler calling them terrorists for blowing up the bridge is something else coming from a person who invaded a peaceful country in the first place. It just seems ridiculous. And as a result, Vlad and his army, they're kind of getting their butts kicked, if you believe all the reports. And now he's making threats of using tactical nukes. The thought of actually deploying a nuclear weapon in these times, to me, seems almost unthinkable. 
I guess mankind didn't learn the lessons from our past when we unleashed that monster in the Second World War in Japan. The thought of it, it kind of horrifies me to be honest with you. But nonetheless, I wish it would all end and maybe it will end from within because Russia, it seems that the people are kind of fed up with everything as well. And it could be just propaganda, but you hear talk about his inner circle just not feeling it. They're, they're tired of this war. It's not solving any kind of problems. And now with calling up 300,000 more people from Russia, they're trying to flee that country. So now the Russians are starting to hack websites in our airports. It just happened yesterday. There were several airports yesterday that were hacked, including Colorado Springs and Denver. And what they did is they hacked the websites and it's all gone back to the Russians. And who knows if it was sanctioned by Vlad or just you know, the criminals in Russia, but it's all kind of nuts. And you would think that we would know better as a human race by now, but I suppose not. It's, uh, it's really sad. It, honestly, it really is. And all this does is spin up the only fat guy in North Korea, Kim Jong-un who, not to be outdone, is threatening South Korea and U.S. targets by lobbing a series of intermediate-range ballistic missiles in the direction of Japan and South Korea last week. It's just out of control. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's time to send Dennis Rodman back. But, uh, my God, it just seems like the whole world is going nuts right now. Well, closer to home here in Colorado, Colorado Secretary of State says her office sent out 30,000 voter registration notices. Now, that's normally not that bad or unusual, but they were sent to non-citizens. Think about that, non-citizens. What? But the best part about all this is that uh, Democrat Jenna Griswold's office said that right now we're not aware that any non-citizens who have received these postcards in error have tried to register. Well, gee, that's a good thing. So apparently on September 27th, Griswold said that postcards were mistakenly mailed after department employees compared a list of names of, I think it was 102,000 people provided by the Electronic Registration Information Data Center. Yeah, say that fast twice. To a database of Colorado residents issued driver's licenses. So apparently the Department of Revenue driver's licenses, they have a list that includes special licenses for people who are not U.S. citizens. But it didn't include formatting instructions that normally would have allowed the Department of State to eliminate those names before the mailers went out. Hmm, must have been that IT guy asleep, but who knows? So it's a big mess right now. So now her office is sending out notices to the roughly 30,000 people who aren't citizens who mistakenly received these postcards. And according to her, they were applying efforts to prevent or reject anyone not eligible to vote for registration, including social security numbers required for each application on a daily basis. Well, nothing like more work for our hardworking county clerks who will now have to refer those cases to the DA's office if they arise. And of course, the Republicans are condemning Griswold for the air, saying that Griswold's continues to make easy and avoidable errors just before ballots go out in the mail on October 17th. Yeah, let the rumors fly. You don't think somebody's going to come back with some uh, election fraud with that one, do you? Like, I don't know, maybe Mike the Pillow Guy. Who knows? Oh, no! And what's funny is Griswold, who was touted for her role as a national advocate for secure elections, she's running for re-election against Republican Pam Anderson. Well, I don't think this is over yet, especially this close to the midterm elections, but uh, I can hear the tap dancing from here. Well, when we come back, we'll be talking to our title sponsor from Abode Real Estate, Josh Dorsey. We'll be right back.
You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and have lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Teller County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at csabode.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied. Welcome back to This Week in the Bear Cave. I'm Dennis Zarrell, and on the Bear Cave hotline right now is our title sponsor from Abode Real Estate, Josh Dorsey. Josh, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me back. I'm doing good. Always, always. Well, you know what? Um, boy, just after we talked last time, a few weeks ago, and you know, we were all fat and happy. It's like, ah, oh, the interest rates look like they're pretty stable. Not less than 48 hours later, they went up by three quarters of a point. So I am not a barometer or by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. <laughs> You know, it's, uh, I, I was really hoping, uh, maybe naive, naively hoping that, uh, they would just kind of keep them around the same, but, uh, you know, that was just not the case. So here we are with, uh, in, in uncharted territory. Well, I was surprised that it went up that much. I mean, three quarters of a point, it may not seem like a lot, but it kind of is. Oh, it's huge. I mean, uh, an increase like what they did, uh, is, uh, has a huge impact. And, um, we were already seeing not necessarily a, decrease in demand. The demand's still there. It's just that the they've kind of stifled the affordability of it. I mean, there's a lot of people that want a house, need a house, all that, but it's becoming unaffordable at, at those rates. You've got on a $450,000 house, you might be $30,000, $3,400 a month or something like that. It's it's unreal. Yikes. Well, what has it done to the market, I mean, since then? Because that's that's been, what, about a month ago, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, it's changed. I mean, it's it's still changing. The thing that I'm seeing is, is kind of like what I said. I mean, you still have quite a bit of demand. It's just that the affordability is not there in terms of, of the rates. Six, eight months ago, almost anybody, well, I should say probably eight, nine months ago, most people could qualify for 400,000 like that was pretty pretty normal price range and you still have all those people wanting to buy a house but now they they can afford 280 300 not 400 and so the demand's all still there they've just kind of put a wet blanket on the entire thing with these rates and so I don't know we'll have to see what the future holds I I uh, I don't dare predict let me ask you this does that kind of force the seller to lower the price a little bit on a home yeah we're seeing that in some cases where prices are coming down so you're certainly seeing some price decreases and things at least leveling off and then coming down a little bit. And then also you're seeing a lot of sellers 
advertising, you know, their agents are advertising for them of assumable rates. People that have a 3% or 3.5% FHA or VA loan, they're advertising, hey, look, you can assume this part of our mortgage because that's a huge bonus in this market when someone can assume uh, a portion of the purchase price in, in a low rate mortgage. And so that's come back around again that we haven't seen that be very popular over the last five, six years, but now that's that's a big deal. Yeah, I was going to say, I almost kind of forgot about that because yeah, that was a big thing, I don't know, 20 years ago because I, I almost went and bought a house that had that type of deal, but uh, you know, there's just too many other things attached to it. But gosh, I guess it's uh, it's so hard to predict because you don't know what the government's going to do either. It's been in such flux. I never know what's going to come out of uh, good old Sniffy Joe's mouth from one day to the next. And sometimes when he's standing up there, he doesn't even know, obviously. So Yeah. And you know, that's another part of it really, because you have the, the rates increasing and if they increase and then they kind of stay where they're at, you can kind of just watch and see what happens. But when they increase so much really rapidly and nobody quite knows what to expect, then you have the consumer confidence impacted as well. And so, you know, even in cases where people need a house or, or want to move from wherever to Colorado, you've got some confidence issues where they're like, buyers are asking me, well, you know, what's the market going to do? If I buy this house and uh, is it going to go down? Is it going to go up? Of course, nobody really knows. All we can do is look at what we're seeing now. And when you don't have the, hey, we're going to raise it to this. And then that's, you know, that's where it's going to be going forward. And that kind of stable outlook, when you have an uncertain outlook, you really affect the, uh, the confidence side of the entire thing. So that's also impacting it. I'm seeing that, hearing that from a lot of buyers. And then of course, sellers too, they're trying to say, well, we we're thinking about waiting till the spring when the market's normally a little bit more active, but with so little predictability about what's going to happen going forward, like, well, shoot, we better just put it on the market now. We don't know what it's going to be like in the spring. Yeah. And the other thing I keep hearing about too, I, I hear it more and more all the time is that, okay, Okay, we're looking at a recession coming up, and uh, like I said, I'm not—I'm you know, not the financial whiz. I, I think I am in my own mind, but uh, if I was, I'd—you uh, know—I'd be uh, independently wealthy. That's—it <laughs> kind of makes you nervous, you know, when you hear about all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm surprised that we haven't gone into a recession already. Yeah, well, I think I've said this before. Well, one of the real problems—shouldn't say the real problem, but one of the real problems—is is just lack of, of productivity and, and workforce participation. And we've talked about that before. Just if you've got this inflation happening, you need, in my opinion, a higher workforce participation. You need better quality participation because that productivity in the economy can really help combat inflation. And, and so that's kind of the weird part is that things are still moving along pretty well, but we don't have that workforce participation, or at least the some cases, really low quality workforce participation. And, and that's the part that worries me because you've got in a, in a recession type of scenario, that's really your hope is like, well, we can produce our way out of it. The homes are still going up though in Colorado Springs, I would imagine. And now with this kind of unusual warm weather we've been having, I've got to think that the contractors are still cranking away. They're not going to stop, right? Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. There, there's still tons of homes going up. Um, they're still building like crazy, but they're they're having the problems with labor participation, you know, just not enough people to hire for the, the different trades and things like that. So they're battling that. They're battling still high inflated uh, material costs and things like that. So they can't, I don't think, really come down too much on, on their offering price on these new I guess we'll have to see, but 
kind of a rock and hard place. You have demand for new inventory. And then it's like, well, a lot of people can't afford that $700,000 mortgage payment. There's not as many people out there that can afford that. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens, whether these builders have enough margin to absorb some of that, or maybe material costs are, will come down. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like it's just been almost a roller coaster because uh, materials come down and then it's gone back up again. This come down. This now it's back up again. And the the whole labor shortage. I just don't. I don't understand it. I I just don't because supposedly you know all these jobs have been created and we're just not seeing it. People are still just not working. Well, the the government cheese has ended. So what is everybody doing? You know, I I, I don't. Yeah. I don't understand. Well, there's a lot of money out there still, and I think you know people are using credit and they're using home equity and things like that to, to move along and just kind of rethinking what they want to do for work. And and that'll come to an end at some point. But yeah, it is it is interesting how over the last couple of years, everyone has just kind of shifted their mindset on work and, and employment. Yeah, it, it's pretty weird. But in the meantime, if you do have a house, we are approaching those winter months and it's going to get here before you know it. And uh, the last newsletter that came out, I think it was a couple of days ago, was talking about water issues. And I just happen to have one right now as, as we speaking in my house and uh, just one of those little slow leaks that you don't notice and all of a sudden it's like, oh man, this can become a problem. So uh, there were a few points that came out and one is the one that I like the least but always have to do and that's uh, getting the gutters cleaned out. Yeah, that uh, that comes up on a lot of inspection reports and going into the winter time, what you can have, if those gutters aren't clean, you tend to have more snow and ice build up on the roof and ice build builds up in the gutters as well. And then you get that ice kind of damming and it and it pushes up underneath the shingles and can cause some some real problems. So keeping those gutters clear is critical. It's a pain in the neck, but it's got to be done for sure. And especially, you know, when you got a lot of pine needles, things like that, and or leaves blowing in there through the fall, get up there and clean those things out or, or have someone do it for you. But it's it's critical and it comes up on a lot of inspection reports. So then the other thing that you see is when that doesn't get done, those gutters rust out. You end up with all these little spots that are dripping and water running down towards the foundation, which you definitely don't want, um, saturating the soils there. So uh, then, then you're replacing gutters or repairing gutters and it's best just to keep them clean in the first place. You can also buy those covers for the gutters that are, are really helpful. I've got them on most of my gutters in the house. But uh, the other thing too is like, there's a lot of weight when that ice is up there. And uh, yeah, if you don't want to replace them, you got to clean them out for sure. Yeah. So those are a great tool. Those really help out. And then also you can get those heat strips that, that you put up along the edge there that you can, if you start to get some ice build up, you can plug those things in and melt it off. And the other one that came up too was monitoring your water pressure. I never really thought about that. Yeah. That's another big one that I see on inspection reports a lot. And uh, basically the long and short of it is if your water pressure is too high. It's just just hard on everything in the house. So if you've got high water pressure, it's hard on your pipes. You're more likely to get leaks. It's hard on not only your pipes, but also your appliances, your dishwasher, your washer dryer, things like that. It'll shorten the lifespan on your water heater, all those things. So it's something that people don't ever think to check hardly, but it's it's important to keep your, your house in good shape and to prevent leaks. Now, how can we check that? Can we just call a plumber up and he can uh, he can kind of tell you what to do? Or is there a you know some sort of a meter that you can get? In most cases, I would just recommend that someone call a plumber and have them check it out and make sure the water pressure is where in the range that it should be. There are some pipes and some utility rooms you'll see a gauge on there, but uh, not often. 
So typically they've got to come out and, and hook something up and, and test it for you. Yeah. Awesome idea. The other thing too, that is often overlooked are, we, we talked about the roof a little bit, but uh, chimneys, another one. Yeah. Well, especially if you've got a wood burning stove, just keeping that thing clean, you know, uh, you don't want a chimney fire. It's really not that bad. Some people, you know, might have the skill set to do it themselves and get up there and run one of those brushes down. You can get those things at Home Depot for hundred bucks or whatever for the brush. And then just, you know, hooks up to a drill, you push it down there and clean it out or it's not terribly expensive to get someone who's certified to come out there and, and inspect that in the fireplace and or wood stove as well but that's a big deal especially if you're using a lot of wood heat that creosote builds up in there and uh, then one day you get a roar and fire and all of a sudden it, it goes straight up the chimney I have a service that I use up here in the uh, in the mountains and uh, you know every couple of years he comes out it's a couple hundred bucks it's at least you have that peace of mind you know you don't have to worry about any kind of fires or things like that but also getting up on that roof and making sure the chimney doesn't have any cracks and things like that. I don't want to learn the hard way, but oftentimes I do. Well, no one wants to spend the extra money on it, but at the same time, it's totally worth it for for the peace of mind, you know, especially if you're going to be running your wood stove at night and things like that. But also just, if you do go to sell your house, a lot of times people want to see, you can provide that with your seller's property disclosure. Hey, we maintain this thing, you know, sometimes people, especially coming from out of state, will go up to Teller County and they've got no idea on a wood stove what's going on with it. So, you know, immediately they're concerned, hey, what has this thing been checked out, whatever. So it's good to have some some paperwork to show, hey, we took good care of this thing and chimney's clean and we had it done every year. And, and that, that goes a long way on a seller's property disclosure. You do want to get it cleaned and you do want to get that chimney maintained, but also check those carbon monoxide alarms, you know, make sure you've got all those things working. That's that's really important, kind of along the same lines going into winter. Yeah. Replace those batteries. They don't last forever. And uh, the last one was uh, kind of a, a no-brainer too. And it says, look for mold and mildew because uh, that stuff builds up. And if you have uh, bad sinuses like me and you can't really smell a lot of that kind of stuff, you got to use your eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you've got to keep that stuff under control too, because what starts as a little problem can turn into a, a very major problem and mitigation for major mold is uh, serious business. I mean, that's expensive and oftentimes we'll be removing drywall and, and studs and everything else if it gets out of control. But but uh, just watch for that moisture and nip it in the bud and make sure that it doesn't get uh, carried away there. Because I've seen some circumstances where, like you have, you get a little leak like that. And sometimes a person won't even notice it if it's a drip in a wall or things like that. And then it turns into a huge problem down the road where it's like, oh, shoot, well, we've had moisture coming into this area for six years and it's developed a, a little forest of mold. in there. Yeah, and, yeah no, not good. Yeah, it's good to be vigilant about that and, you know, make sure that you, you don't have anything like that going on. Keep an eye out for mold or moisture. And if you see anything, you know, get a plumber out there, spend a little money and, and nip it in the bud. Fortunately, all my water issues have been uh, one-time incidents with the kids in the bathtub or <laughs> overfilling it. Yeah. But we've, we've had our share of those. And, you know, even with that, you got to sometimes cut out some drywall, dry out the joists and, and all that stuff. So, Well, any other kind of tips that we should be looking for as we're going into the winter months? No, I, I, I mean, that's uh, kind of well covered in the newsletter. Keep the, those gutters clean. Keep the ice from building up. Um, get that chimney checked out. It's it's important to do. Also, I guess along those same lines of, uh, of heat sources, get that furnace serviced. If you don't replace those filters and things like that, there's another thing I come across a lot. Uh, it really shortens the lifespan on them. If that filter is dirty and restricting, that's where you end up with heat exchanger cracks and things like that. And so again, it's one of those things you got to spend a little bit of money on, but you can usually find a good HVAC specialist. Uh, they run some specials in the fall and get them out there, get the thing serviced, change the air 
air filter and uh, and make sure that thing lasts as long as possible. And uh, yeah, those filters are super easy to change out too. I mean, you can go to Home Depot or, or any one of your hardware stores and probably find a filter. It takes less than five minutes. You just pull it out, you know, put another one in and yep. you don't want to be breathing all that bad crap either. You know, it's not, not good for you. Yeah. And you know, one interesting thing about that, the inspectors that I talk to pretty much all say the same thing across the board. And that is you don't need to go buy, unless it's like doctor recommended, I guess, or something like that. You don't need to go buy the the most expensive HEPA, whatever, you know, yeah. super fine filters. Those can actually shorten the lifespan of the furnace too. A lot of times just the mid-grade or the cheaper ones are best because they do a great job filtering and, and they don't restrict the airflow. If the airflow is restricted, that heat exchanger can get too hot, cracked, and, and then you've got real problems. I wonder how many of those filters were sold a couple of years ago during the uh, the whole COVID craze. I mean, people were just buying everything. You know, I thought about that. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that it wouldn't make any difference, but I'm sure a lot of people bought them anyway. If you're a mask maker or a HEPA filter guy, you're doing okay. And yeah. Any last minute things we should be looking for in the future? There are a couple uh, couple listings that I noticed this morning that, you know, if there's anyone out there looking for a great value in Cripple Creek, man, I saw a couple new builds, not just this morning, they've been on the market for a couple of weeks, but in Cripple Creek, mid 200s, brand new houses. I'm, I'm surprised no one has snatched those up yet, but those are out there. And then I do have, just in case anyone out there is looking for something like like this. I've got a great listing coming up just east of Colorado Springs. It's like six acres. It's got an old house on it that, you know, needs some work, but could still be usable, but just a fantastic property with lots of trees on it, Pikes Peak views. That'll be coming up here pretty soon and affordably priced too. So if anyone's looking for some some, uh, land just barely east of Colorado Springs, like 10 minutes, that's a real good one. I'm excited for it. So people can always go into your website and see the listings as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. That that one's pre-market. So they wouldn't see it on there yet but and there's a there's a couple others that i got coming up that uh that are pretty interesting as well so you can always reach out just shoot me a text uh or give me a phone call and can tell you what i got coming up but uh there's some good inventory coming out now all right josh well i appreciate the time as always and uh man hopefully things uh are starting to look up by the time we talk again uh next month yeah sounds good i'll talk to you soon dennis all right josh appreciate it thanks for coming in yep bye bye that was our title sponsor from Abode Real Estate, Josh Dorsey. And, uh, you know, it's not all bad news. It really isn't. If you want to get that house, there's a way to do it. And uh, if you call Abode Real Estate or go on their website, Josh Dorsey is the guy to make that happen. So uh, that's who I would recommend to go see. Don't give up on your dreams because he can make it happen for you. And uh, so can you. Takes a little courage, but uh, I know you can do it. Coming up next, it's more spooky stuff this week. Yep, it's story time with Michelle. So don't go away. Are you tired of gambling? Or maybe gambling just isn't your thing? Then you need to come visit the historic Butte Theater, located in the heart of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Enjoy our classic melodramas, Shakespeare of the West, musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family, so get your tickets today at thebuttetheater.com and come join in our fun.
are back in the spooky bear cave. And right now, it's story time with Michelle on the bear cave hotline. Hey, Michelle, what's happening? Hey, just another day in paradise. Yeah, well, it kind of is paradise, you know, if you take a drive up there in those mountains right now. It really is. I mean, we still have some color, so it's really cool. But man, it's been busy, busy, busy. How did the art show go last week? Because you guys extended it one more day, right? Or, or the entire weekend, I should say. We did for the entire weekend. And I stopped in here on Sunday to go do the dedication for the American Legion. This place was packed. Wow. It was absolutely packed. And I looked at the numbers and we were up 84% from last year in visitation. No kidding. No kidding. No kidding. So the artists all had a really good show. I think it was one of the best shows I've ever had. And um, so everybody went away happy. It was awesome. Yeah. I meant to come up and here, here's my, my, uh, I'm copping a plea again here. Your excuse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, everybody's got one, like they say. But we do. We do. <laughs> yeah, I was going to go up and uh, I don't know what, something happened. I think it was the spooky woods I had to fix because I had a couple of technical problems after storing those things for a year. Right. But then right. I, uh, yeah, I basically just, uh, I think I forgot. That, that was, <laughs> that's my story. Well, I'll tell you what, the traffic was horrendous. I mean, there was streaming traffic coming down the hill. There was streaming traffic coming up the hill. I do have to say, for the most part, though, people were pulling off the side of the road clear. And so that was awesome. Trailhead for Pancake Rocks. Never seen that many cars there before in my life. And I've been working up here for 12 years. It was holy cow. <laughs> I came up Monday just to grab some water from Gillette Flats, you know, just a kind of a quickie. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. The colors are going fast, but there are still some, it's still pretty magnificent up there. They really are. You know, the weather's just been so nice. It definitely got that fall crispness, but it, it's still sunshiny and beautiful. So, um, yeah, take advantage of the last few days. Yeah. I still got tomatoes in the greenhouse. That's a pretty amazing. Dang. Yeah. We still have to go pick our zucchini. <laughs> Yeah, you got, what, uh, 900 pounds of zucchini probably still? Probably. probably. I haven't even looked at the garden for about a week, so I'm sure it's out of control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's a good problem to have, I guess, you know, about this it time is, of year. It is. That's true. But you were talking about the traffic earlier, and uh, I went down the springs on Saturday because I had to get a couple of, uh, oh, spotlights and things like that for, the, for spooky words. And I don't think I've seen that kind of traffic, not even during the height of the summer. Coming, no, coming I up. So I think everybody was taking advantage of that last weekend just to see all the colors. But it was a it was a line of traffic from 25. Oh, man. I mean, all the way up to Green Mountain Falls. It was it was crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad people got out and got up here and checked it out. So it was cool. It was really nice to see that. Yeah. Now go back home. Right. Get your pictures. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone. Go back home. Well, we have story number two for our uh, kind of our spooky month going on. What have you got this week? So I don't know if you're familiar with the name of Linda Goodman. She was an astrologer back in the 70s. Not at all. Okay. So I just suggest go ahead and Google her. Um, she was kind of like an astrologer to the stars and everything. She kind of made a movement on being uh, an astrologer. And she happened to live up here in Cripple Creek. A lot of people don't know that either. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So this is her ghost story. Uh, it says, buying a house in Victor and Cripple Creek sometimes means coping with things not listed in the sales contract. Ghostly footsteps in unoccupied rooms, apparitions, and quote-unquote funny happenings are taken in stride by district residents along with their panoramic views of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Astrologer Linda Goodman, author of Sun Signs, 
a bestseller of the early 1970s, as well as other astrological and metaphysical books, tells an apparent psychic manifestation disrupted her first night in the house she rented on Carr Street in Cripple Creek in the summer of 1970. Wow, very first yeah. night? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And gosh, she stuck around, believe it or not. <laughs> so like many in the district, the house had a varied history. It was built during the 1890s boom years as a brick replica of a New York City two-story brownstone row house by a Jewish businessman who came there to open a dry goods store in Cripple Creek. Besides a private residence, it has been a mining company office and a brothel associated with the Bennett Avenue Hotel after the demise of the city's former red light district. So here we go again, right? We've got the, the lady. <laughs> My kind of place. <laughs> right? <laughs> so Linda Goodman had come to Cripple Creek from New York City, too, renting the Car Street house, which she later bought and renovated. And while the nighttime streets of Cripple Creek seemed eerily quiet compared to those in Manhattan, the situation inside the house was just the opposite. When Ms. Goodman tried to sleep, she kept being wakened by sounds of music, by voices of people singing and talking. In particular, a man and a woman singing duet. Hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> she was convinced that her landlord had left a radio playing somewhere in the house. She checked the laundry room, the kitchen, even the basement, but the sound always seemed to come from somewhere else in the house. Maybe across the street from that brothel. So, she says she was getting aggravated. I went outside to see if the neighbors had a TV or stereo on, and they didn't. So she's done all her homework checking it out, right? Well, she's kind of in that business, yeah, right? Right? And she says, quote, on my honor, when I went to sleep, I had to put a pillow over my head to muffle the sound. Can you imagine that? Not at all. I would have a for sale sign in the front of the house the following week. Right? But she didn't. She said since that night, she and various house guests have heard mysterious talking, laughing, and music maybe six times. And at least a dozen people have told her of hearing a baby crying in the middle of the night, while one guest reported seeing an apparition of a man in a military uniform in the living room. The baby would have been the final straw for me. Done. <laughs> that, I agree with you on that one. That would kind of push me over the edge. Jeez. <laughs> but she actually ended up living up here. She, Like it mentioned, uh, she bought that particular brownstone. I know exactly which one it is. And she bought another house uh, here in Cripple Creek uh, when she was still here. So interesting. Kind of check her out. She, she's, she's an interesting kind of cat. And she obviously had some really good paranormal experiences. So does somebody live in that home now? Yes, and I actually know who it is. <laughs> I, I wonder if they have had any kind of uh, activities happening in that house. I've never asked them directly, and I probably should. Yeah, we need um, to find out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we ever since I've been up here, I've always heard ghost stories about that particular house. So I'll just, yeah, I'll have to talk to the owner and find out for sure. Well, next time I come up, you're going to have to point that one out to me because now I'm now I'm really curious, right? Because uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> the you know the inner skeptic in me, like I've always been saying, is is still kind of there. Everybody's seeing stuff up here, so it can't be just a coincidence. I agree. I agree. There's definitely something going on, but it uh, just isn't going on with me right now, which is, I'm okay with that too, because... Uh... <laughs> 
Well, if you've ever lived in a haunted house, you'll have a whole different view of how that works. <laughs> now, only during uh, my training in the military. That was it. <laughs> right. But those right. are all drunk guys coming back on, uh, you know, after the weekend uh, binge. So <laughs> Doesn't quite qualify. <laughs> no, no. I can't imagine having all that activity going on and then, uh, you know, having a, having a new home and then, yeah, I'm just going to put a pillow over the top of my head. And she lived there for a few years, though, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you're right. That's crazy. I, I'd be having a priest in there or something. I like, get these things out of here. <laughs> just so, yeah, something. Yeah, a monk or uh, anything. Right, right. <laughs> wow. So yeah, more creepy stuff in Cripple Creek, for sure. All right, I like it. Well, uh, speaking of Cripple Creek, I guess it's kind of wound down just a little bit until maybe uh, trick-or-treating time, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we were talking about it just before we started recording, and the only thing I can think of that's going on is the Butte Theater, of course, still has Young Frankenstein playing till October 30th, and there's going to be trick-or-treats all over the place. I've been reading the newspaper, like in Woodland Park, Park, there's trunk or treats here up in Cripple Creek. The Parks and Rec Department run a trunk and treat. So get out there. You know, they're safe. They're great places to take your families. And, and Halloween parties, I'm sure, are going to be everywhere because Halloween's went on Monday. So people are going to be partying up the weekend before. Yeah. And that question always comes up is when are the kids going to be trick or treating? Well, you know, Bear Cave Spooky Woods, we're kind of open during Saturdays and Sundays. Just, uh, we're, yeah, we're lit up for a few hours and then, uh, I'm expecting it's going to be just normal Halloween on Monday night kind of thing. Yeah, because we went through that like a few years ago, too, because of the same thing that fell on. No, it's Sunday, right? Last year. Last year, yeah. And, you know, people are like, oh, well, when are kids coming? I said, well, shoot, I'm not passing out candy until the day. So Yeah. Well, you know, up, up here, if people come up, take a walk through the woods and look at the decorations, stuff like that. We always... Yeah, we, we throw them a treat. Oh, for sure. If they yeah, want one. Yeah. yeah. Here's a little high fructose corn syrup for your trip back down the mountain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feed it to the kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've also noticed that if you go on next door, whatever area you live in, it'll tell you which homes are giving out candy and which homes are decorating and things like that. Every day I notice like two or three more little spots coming up. Oh, right. I might have to do that and put my house on there. Absolutely. Yeah. Have them come by and look at those uh, scary flamingos you got sitting out there in your front yard. Oh, they're hilarious. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. Thanks. <laughs> I was like, hey, look at these flamingos. They got skeletons riding on their backs. <laughs> and the neighbors know us as the flamingo house, so why not? Why not throw them in there for Halloween, too? Yeah, go check out the flamingo house. Right. <laughs> then, uh, and then come up to the Bear Cave Spooky Woods. Man, I can't wait to see what happens next week. Those are some interesting stories, i got to admit. Yeah, they really are. They really are. And potentially, I believe, the District Museum, and I forgot to mention that, is they do ghost walk tours. So you just need to get in touch with the District Museum and uh, schedule that. So I think they're going through mid-October. But otherwise, we're just kind of hanging out, still watching the leaves change. People are still coming in, which is awesome. And then when the snow starts to fly, we'll just hunker down. Yeah, you can make a weekend of it. Just kind of go up there and take a ghost tour walk or go visit the cemetery and then hit the Butte Theater and watch Young Frankenstein. That sounds like a perfect plan. Perfect day. Yeah, sounds like a good time to me too. All right, Michelle. Well, we'll touch base with you again next week and uh, find out what our next spooky story is going to be. Sounds like a deal. So everybody just stay safe out there. Sounds good. All right, Michelle, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. That was my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, calling us from the Heritage Center in Cripple Creek. And uh, yeah, always something to do up there. I mean, just be creative. Go up there and walk around. Check out the sites and uh, have a great day in Cripple Creek. 
When we come back, we'll be talking to our field producer, Trevor Phipps, so stick around. Are you having a hard time seeing out of those dirty Colorado windows? Or maybe it's just time to finally clean those sidewalks, garages, and those stains on services around your home and office. Well, now there's a solution and it's Peak Washing LLC. Veteran owned and operated, Peak Washing LLC is your mobile window cleaning and pressure washing solution. Their services range from residential jobs to commercial projects using a safe and environmentally friendly approach. Peak Washing LLC can also clean and sanitize heavy construction equipment. There's virtually no job that Peak Washing can't handle. So call Greg at 719-651-7518 or find them on their Facebook page under Peak Washing LLC. That's Peak Washing LLC, your solution to that dirty job. Back to this week in the Bear Cave. I'm Dennis Zerl, and on the Bear Cave hotline right now is our field producer, Trevor Phipps. Trevor, what's happened today? Not a whole lot. How's it going? Oh, uh, you know, uh, just uh, waiting for those trick or treaters to arrive in the next two or three weeks. It's uh, that time of year. You have everything set up? Well, you know, it's a good thing that we started early because there's some technical difficulties with all the, you know, stuff you just, you know, you shove it into a box at the at the end of the year and then you pull it back out. It's like, oh, something got damaged. So, but yeah, it's about 98% done, but we had, uh, we had the spooky woods lit up last week and there are a few people who stopped by and at least slowed down and, you know, take a look at it. So yeah, it's about there. Hopefully this week we'll have it a hundred percent ready to go, but uh, yeah, it's looking good, man. Nice. But anyway, uh, what have you been working on this week? I guess, uh. Woodland Park City Council had a, a short meeting and they talked about short-term rentals, right? Yeah, well, I guess, well, the meeting itself was pretty short, but I guess they had a work session that's kind of long and it got kind of heated at some time. Really? I guess basically they're they're kind of divided. There's one side that wants to define the rules for them and try to put in some sort of regulation and just some sort of accountability thing where they want to kind of hold the homeowners accountable for things that could happen. But then kind of the other side, which is starting to gain traction, is to completely ban short-term rentals unless they're owner-occupied, which means like if I own a house, I can ha- I can rent a room in it, but I have to be living in the house. Right. And, and they would ban that from all residential areas. Of course, if it was a commercially zoned property, then they could do whatever they wanted. So it's essentially a ban to keep out most of these short-term rentals that are in residential zones that the owner lives somewhere else. I kind of get it. And uh, again, I, I'm always amazed by finding out the number of short-term rentals that are in Woodland Park. It was just kind of mind-blowing. I had no yeah. idea there was that many. Something that was interesting to me, I, I, I talked to Council Member Frank Connors. He's kind of 
are the ones been spearheading the whole monster ban him, basically. And he's he hasn't been shy about that. He said that was one of the main reasons he ran for city council. And one of the things interesting that he brought up, I guess, during work session two, is that a lot of people ask for a list of everybody that has a short-term rental in yeah. Woodland Park that has a license for it. And then people were looking at those names. And what Frank Connors noticed, there's a lot of people from like, there's one that owned a couple from Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Another one from Denver, Colorado, or a few from Denver, Colorado. And these people own short-term rentals in Woodland Park. But the cities that they live in actually ban them within residential zones. So some this guy from Dallas, in Dallas, you cannot have a short-term rental in a residentially zoned property. Ah. So since they can't do it in their own towns, they're coming to Woodland Park and buying up property. It was kind of an interesting point. You know, because I guess Colorado Springs actually has a ban that you can't have them in residential neighborhoods, Denver, I mean, Dallas. So there's a lot of cities that are doing it. He's had some not pleasant experiences in his neighborhood with short-term rentals. So I get where he's coming from. And, you know, living in the county like uh, you and I do, it's the same kind of thing. The owner of the short-term rental next to the Bear Cave, he's from Denver. I very rarely see him. He's got a caretaker that kind of comes by, but it's that uh, the same old story. I'm really curious to see out of those hundred and some odd short-term rentals, how many of those are actually owned by people in this community? Right. Probably not a lot. Yeah, I'm not not 100% sure on that. But from what I'm hearing, it's there. Yeah, it's you're right. And then another point Frank Connors brought up is, you know, actually the way the city laws are written, lodging is not allowed in a residentially zoned area. Yeah. But the city basically didn't abide by the rules and just like we're letting people signing business license permits and letting people have short term rental licenses, even though technically it wasn't allowed. And that was kind of his point for why we have to extend the moratorium because everybody's like, well, if we don't extend the moratorium, then it'll just go back to the way it was. And we're like, no, we can't go back to the way it was because technically the way it was is we weren't abiding by the ordinances. And I think you mentioned Title 18 that are set in place. That's why we're having the problems that we're having now. Yeah. And another thing he brought up is when the lodging tax got voted in and it had to go to a vote to, in order for the city to impose the lodging tax, all the money was coined as part of the initiative to go to beautification of the city. Well, they didn't put any money into enforcement of the lodging tax. Right. So it's kind of, you're going to try to make a law saying, you know, you have to do this, you have to have a license, you know, have to pay lodging tax, which requires a license for your lodging facility. But yet, and the money generated from the lodging taxes isn't going to enforce anything related to the lodging tax. It's definitely a sticky wicket. And I, I didn't see or uh, watch the work session at all. I kind of came in late on the uh, whole city council meeting. and uh, It should be up online now, by now. But another thing, which is... <laughs> You'll get a kick out of this one. So the other part, which I don't know if you noticed during public comment, but somebody came up and was basically threw the council under the bus about conflict of interest and was saying that the community should have some sort of say in conflict of interest. And it shouldn't, the way it is now, it's basically just the honor system. I did see that part. Well, and so what I found out after listening to more of it, council member Rusty Neal basically came out and he pulled a license for a short-term rental. And he basically came out and said, he's not going to run again because his retirement plan, he's going to move away and short-term rental his house. So that got a lot of people fired up. And that's where that came from. A lot of people started complaining because here he is talking about voting on whether, you know, to extend the moratorium or whether or not short-term rentals should be allowed when he himself has an application in 
for a short-term rental that's not hasn't been approved yet because it's in a moratorium. So I think what happened is he pulled his license once he found out he was going to have to vote on it. I think he pulled his application, but people are a little upset about it. Oh, rusty nail. <laughs> Busted again. That rumor's kind of been flying around for a while that he wasn't going to run and that uh, he was going to move out of the area. But no, I did hear that part of the, uh, the meeting and uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he had some seriously valid points. One of the council members I talked to said there's basically three that don't want to ban short-term rentals, but there's four that are considered banning it inside residential owns and listed owner-occupied. Well, again, I mean, we have council members who work in real estate, the mayor included, and, uh, you know, she's going to be on next week. So maybe we can ask her about that and uh, get her feelings on that, too, because uh, whichever way it goes, it's going to be a tight vote. It may be a four to three kind of thing or or whatever. But uh, I always hear the property owner rights coming up. I, I hear that a lot. I, when I was talking to Kelly Case, that's her biggest thing. And I hear that from the uh, county commissioners as well. And maybe that's why they haven't decided to to do anything about it. But yeah, well, well, Fred Connor's argument, though, was interesting. He's like, you know, we're not taking away your property rights. You can long term rent it. You can sell the house. Right. I can't talk about you know, Woodland Park. I, I can only talk about my experiences in the county. And uh, I'm guessing that and I've done a little bit of research, but I'm, I'm guessing that there's no lodging taxes being paid. There's a lot of, you know, that kind of thing that's going by the wayside. And there's more and more short-term rentals in the county that are popping up because, like you said, people from out of state or from not in this community. So they extended it two more months until they figure out basically what they're going to do. Maybe not next meeting, but the next meeting, there's going to be two ordinances that are going to hit the agenda. One of them is going to be the one that the planning commission recommended. It's going to be more from like a create rules and just kind of regulate it standpoint. And then the other one is going to be pretty much an outright ban as far as in residential properties. Wow. Well, it's going to be a, it's going to be a heated topic to say the least, but. uh... And I've heard the county is actually looking at, they're kind of waiting and watching what happens in Woodland Park before they make some sort of action. They've been waiting and watching for over a year now. And we've been hearing that for quite some time. So, you know, it's time to take action and not see what's going to happen. Just make a decision and, and, uh, you know, what about the rights of the citizens who live next door to these things? I mean, that's that's the other issue that I hear coming up quite a bit as well. To be continued, I guess. Well, moving on to local sports, the Panther football team is on some kind of a roll these days, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They Last week, they won their fifth game in a row. Wow. It's been pretty exciting to watch them. It was, it was a really close game. At first, it kind of looked like you know, the Broncos and Colts game the night before, and there was no scores and it was a highly defensive game. But guess what? Both teams in high school got touchdowns as opposed to... <laughs> <laughs> pro game before, and I use that term pro lightly. As soon as you said Colts and Broncos, my stomach started to turn just a little <laughs> bit. I know, we said we weren't going to talk about it, but I just wanted to mention it briefly. <laughs> that was a good comparison. It started out, it was just a defense-dominated game. None of the offenses could get anything going on. It's punting back and forth, and it was 0-0 zero to zero into the first quarter. And then in the second, when the Panthers went back to punt, there was a bad snap that went over the punter's head. 
When the punter tried to go back and make a play, he immediately tackled for a huge loss and put the Lahunta Tigers in a good field position, and they were able to capitalize off that. They got a long running play for the first touchdown of the game, and they missed the extra point. So at halftime, it was 6 to nothing. And then in the third quarter, it kind of looked about the same as the first. There was no scores on either side. It was just a defensive bout with three and outs and punts. And then most of the fourth quarter was pretty much the same, and then the Panthers finally got some momentum with, I think, three minutes left in the game. They finally drove down and they scored and tied it. And then when they tried to kick the extra point to take the lead, the extra point was blocked. So with three minutes left in the game, it was six to six. And then the Tigers got the ball and they ended up driving it all the way down to the Panther eight. Less than a minute left. They had it on the eight yard line. They were ready to score. And the Panther defense stopped them in four downs and got a turnover of downs with like seconds left in the game and had it on their own 14. And then they kneeled it and sent it into overtime. Wow. So what happened with the Panthers is they, they won the coin toss and they elected to be on offense first and they scored a rushing touchdown, made it 12 to six, and then they went for two and they got the two point conversion and it put it up 14 to six in overtime. And then the Tigers got the ball on the pin. About second or third play, the Panthers intercepted it in the end zone, which basically ended the game. Game over. That's got to put them in some pretty good position right now in league play, right? Yeah, they're so right now they're they're five and one overall, but they're two and zero oh in their league, which technically they're put in second place because going into the game before last week, the Panthers were ranked number eight statewide Division Two A. Okay, so what's next for the Panthers? So next, the Panthers play Florence, who is currently ranked number five in the state in 2A. Florence has a quarterback who's six foot four, 188 pounds. Big boy. He's an all-star for him right now. They last week they managed 60 minutes. I saw that. Just waking up in the morning is like, am I seeing this right? 60 to nothing? Yeah, the Panthers be managed to 35 to nothing, but I think our coach, once they get up high enough, they put in younger players, whereas other coaches may not do that. Gotta get a high school mercy rule going here. Yeah. So basically the Panthers had three games left and uh, last week they beat LaHunta, who is actually ranked 15th in the state in 2A, so they're not that bad of a team either. But they play Florence, Lamar, and Alamo South in their last three games. Lawrence is ranked number five, and Alamosa is right behind Living Park at ranked number nine. They've got a couple rough games ahead of them, so if they can come up with a victory, then they would have a good good playoff chance. Now, are they playing at Florence? Yes. This is kind of the big challenge. It'll be the toughest game they play all season. And then they come home on October 28th for the last game, and they play Alamosa, which, like I said, we're number eight ranked, and they're number nine ranked, so that'll be another tough one. So the next three games are definitely not gimmies at all, and they got to be at the top of their game, so to speak, to uh, make sure that they can get into the playoffs. Yeah. No gimmies. For sure. All right. Well, while we're on football, and I said I wasn't going to do this, but you already mentioned the uh, Colts and the Broncos, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, I don't know or I don't recall when I've seen a worse game in the NFL. I don't know about you. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time. Well, as usual, I was watching the football game on one device and then watching the city council meeting <laughs> on the other. You must create boring things. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I am a Colts fan, but I was kind of like trying to pull for the hometown team, too, you know, because all, all my family are all Broncos fans, and they've been Broncos fans their entire lives, so it's kind of a healthy little rivalry. But, man, oh, man, I, I'm not sure when Russell Wilson is actually going to start earning that $250 million he got paid. <laughs> and there's a lot of talk about around the league, too. There, Everybody's noticing it. You can't help but notice that he's not playing at the top of his capability or his game. Yeah. Or maybe he's just getting older. I don't know. It was painful. Well, they just look out of sync. The uh, receivers are still running wrong patterns. But they're just not in sync with Russell Wilson. And I, I can't blame him for that. Penalties, too. False starts after false starts. Yeah. Well, now we got a bunch of injuries going on, too. And it's just not looking good for the for the donkeys right now but uh you know hopefully they can get it together yeah which is sad because i mean they, they had so much hype they had new owners a new coach new quarterback well you know what the one consistent thing is is you called it you called it early on in the season and you've been warning everybody it's like hey man you know you better lay back a little bit because uh you know this is a wolf in sheep's clothing or whatever <laughs> yeah. you, want, you want to call it but you're you're right on the money i mean i'm i'm not gonna i predicted eight and nine or maybe nine and eight and now i'm starting to think that i might have been too generous i bet i'm closer than most people yeah it's pretty optimistic at this point um but you know again it's the NFL, anything can happen and any team can kind of win, but uh, well, the one thing I do know about the NFL this season is that I am sick and tired of hearing about Tom Brady and his soon-to-be ex-wife or whatever. I'm over it. No more Brady. All right, Trevor, well, I guess we'll see what happens, and uh, like I say, I might have to take you up to Cripple Creek and uh, hit the sports book because right now you're uh, you're kind of the crystal ball you know, in, the, in the community. All right, Trevor. Well, I guess bottom line is we hope the Woodland Park Panthers pull a win out this week and we'll have something good to report next week. Yeah, definitely. I'm hoping for the best. Me too. All right, Trevor. Well, uh, have a good week and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. All right. That sounds good. You have a good day. Okay. Bye now. That was our field producer, Trevor Phipps, giving us the ins and outs of uh, local news and sports. When we come back, it's time for News of the Word and find out who gets tossed on the bear pile this week. So come on back. have an upcoming special event and don't know what to do? In the Shadow Designs can create one-of-a-kind pieces for you. Located in the heart of Woodland Park, Colorado, In the Shadow Designs specializes in beautiful centerpieces, wreaths, and one-of-a-kind creations for your home or business. Whether it's a baby shower, celebration of life, anniversary, or corporate event, let In the Shadow Designs meet your needs. So contact In the Shadow Designs today on their Facebook page or give them a call at 818-400-1456. Let In the Shadow Designs do the work for you so you don't have to. Bear Cave with me, Dennis Zerl, your host. And now it's time for News of the Weird. 
Headline this week reads, The American Tourist. On October 5th, an American man who appeared to be about 50 years old, he was asked to see Pope Francis at the Vatican in Rome. When he was told that wouldn't be possible, he hurled a Roman bust to the floor in the Museo Cerramonti. Boy, that uh, that was horribly mispronounced, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I'm not. I don't speak Italian, so sorry about that. But then he upset a second one as he rushed out. Well, apparently he must not have been an art connoisseur, but uh, anyway, the man was detained by Vatican police and turned over to Italian authorities. Both statues, get this, were around 2,000 years old. Press office director Matteo Alessandrini said the busts were affixed to the shelves with a nail, but if you pull them down with force, they can come off. Well, apparently they did. He said restoration work has begun and... Funny how they didn't give out this angry man's name, other than uh, Ugly American, apparently. And he hasn't been seen since his detainment. All I can say is uh, maybe he already threw himself on the bear pile. Each week we nominate the top person, place, and or thing who should be tossed onto the bear pile and eaten by the bears. This week the person, place, and or thing to be tossed on the bear pile to be eaten by the bears is... Beyond Meat COO Doug Ramsey for going cannibal at a college football game. Remember that one? Yeah, that was a good one. He was the vegan who bit off a portion of someone's nose because of a minor traffic accident in the parking lot. But uh, yeah, better hit that burger joint fast there, Dougie. You know, gotta scratch that itch every now and then. The nominations this week are number one, another repeat offender, Vlad the Impaler for just being Vlad the Impaler. And might as well toss his cronies on there, too, for continuing to make nuclear threats against not only Ukraine, but the rest of the Western world. This guy has got to retire somewhere. Number two, the American Mystery Tourist. Yeah, that was an easy one. For going angry Christian at the Vatican by trying to destroy two Roman busts. And now no one has seen him since this happened. Maybe he's doing his community service in the catacombs. And number three, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold for sending out registration postcard mailers to 30,000 non-citizens in Colorado. Man, talk about low-hanging fruit for the Republicans. Whew. Well, once again, that's it for me this week. Hope you enjoyed listening. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, the Historic Butte Theater, Peak Washing LLC, and In the Shadow Designs. Special thanks to our guest this week from Abode Real Estate, Josh Dorsey. We always thank you for being the title sponsor of the show. Thanks again to my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, for bringing us spooky story time this week. We've got a couple more left this month. That's going to be fun. And as always, thanks to our field producer, Trevor Fitz, for his contribution to the show. If you have an event coming up or you just want to be a sponsor of the show, hit us up on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name, or send us an email along with your hate mail to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. You can access the show on Spotify, Anchor by Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our celebrity guest next week is going to be Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. We want to hear her plan for a secure election in Colorado. Oh, I don't know, maybe start by not registering non-citizens. Just saying. Beyond Meat COO Doug Ramsey was supposed to come this week, but we're told he left the U.S. to attend the Indonesian New Guinea Cannibal Festival. We could have saved you a bunch of money there, Dougie, by just 
getting a burger like we said so last week, but uh, I guess he doesn't listen to the podcast. Oh, well. Talk to you again next week, everyone. Be well and thanks for listening. Sweet Dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity. Thank you.